hopefully we're going to finish up chapter 9. We might even take a quick step or two into chapter 10 tonight. Um, like I said, I, I, I had some really good questions that I really wanted to kind of delve into. We might even do it next week, if, unless I can remember some of them tonight. Um, but for context... Why don't we go ahead and read the, the, the uh, chapter 9 again, all 18 verses. And is there anybody who does not want to read? Thank you. I see those hands, brethren. Uh, so we got one, two. Well, you got one, two, three, four, five, six. Sorry. You let off last week. Well, you were hoping to do it again, though. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So one, a two apiece. And so I think Cindy's going to get to read two and maybe Bonnie. <laughs> he might be the only one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Well, okay, anyway, we'll figure it out. Two apiece, 18 verses, beginning with verse 1. So what I want to look at tonight is 13 through 18. And kind of have a a discussion about what this is all about um, and see how much of my memory of my notes starts to come back to me at the same time. But uh, you have in 13, he says, this is wisdom, all right? So he's identifying it as such. This is wisdom I have also seen, uh, or I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Um, Cindy, would you... Please read verse 13. I want to get some different words here from different translations. Seem great to me. What do you have on 13, um, Bonnie? Because you have a different translation. It has impressed me as I've watched the way the world works. NIV says what? That greatly impressed me. Um, Brian, you got anything different over there on the back row? Okay. It was great to me. Uh, Christian Standard. I got to find it. Um, I have observed that this also is wisdom under the sun, and it is significant to me. So. In other words, this is a marker that um, this really stuck out to him somehow. This really grabbed his attention. It was great to him. It was significant. Um, it was greatly, what did NIV uh, say again? Greatly impressed, right? Um, so this really caught his attention, but then... So, you know, I read that, and I'm like, okay, here it is. And then we get this weird, almost obscure story. Or am I the only one who felt like this was very sparse? There wasn't a whole lot written. I'll read it to you out of the King James, New King James. There was a little city with few men in it. And... A great king came against it, besieged it, built a great snares around it, 
uh, in my column, the word snares um, is the word, also is the word bulwarks. So I'm glad they wrote snares because who says bulwarks? Anyway, um, the na- still part of a ship. Kind of like the bulkhead, but different. The ed, the bulwark. So they, they brought a ship up to the, no, okay. But so they brought something up to the city. They laid seas and they built, uh, even referring to those ramps that they would build to try to get up over the walls. I can't remember exactly what they're called. Um, and, and now there was found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the same poor man. What's so significant about this? Who did he deliver the city to? You mean the wise man? They, it, it, the, the way I'm reading this is that, okay, I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not going to yet. I'm going to sit on that question. What did he deliver the city to? I forgot I had this. Um, okay, by his wisdom he delivered the city. Is it not implied that he delivered the city from the great king? He saved the city. What do you think, Bill? You have no idea. Um, how else would you read it? See, because believe it or not, and, and Bill, I, I, I'm, this is going to sound like I'm picking on you, but I'm not. Um, I don't know is really a good place to start here. I will explain as we go. Does this almost seem like a riddle? Is it a true story? He says, I have also seen, uh, wisdom I have seen under the sun. So it's implying that this happened where? On earth. So it's possibly implying that It's referring to something that actually happened, although we don't, we don't know for sure, right? But you have, um, you have this city, which if this was the Septuagint, I didn't get a chance to pull out my Septuagint on this, but the Septuagint would have the Greek word polis, P-O-L-I-S, which is the Greek word for city. And the Greeks also believed that the city, now follow my thinking here, the city, I'm I'm, I'm playing off of I don't know, where where is this going, all right? Because I think that was a good question. The city, the Greeks believed, and actually classical philosophy undergirds this, the city is the soul, the individual soul, writ large, or on a grander scale. 
the collective of a bunch of people is a representation of an individual soul, but on a grander scale. Follow what I'm saying, or is, is that... So the city can represent an individual. Um, so that being the case, this could be a metaphoric expression of something that either actually did happen and he's using it metaphorically or as a simile. A simile is something that is like something else. Or in his musing, he's, I mean, he could, the city could actually be even his, his dad, David, who was oppressed, but he was delivered through what? How was David delivered? Through wisdom. But more so, he was delivered by um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So he was delivered. There we go. Um, he was delivered by his fear of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? I'm getting ahead of myself, but why not? Um, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Reverence. And respect, same, it's, I think it goes along the same lines. And to be in awe. And, and what does it mean to be in awe? We don't use, well, unless the Navy might use, no, okay. <laughs> to be speechless, right? What was that? To not question things. Is it bad to question God? Does it feel? What about when, when, when the Lord says, uh, come let us reason together, says, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. That's out of the book of Isaiah. Come let us reason together. Right? That's, that's an, uh, uh, um, a dialogue. Um, that is a discourse between two, two parties, right? And, and so, I, I'm not so sure that... Now, questioning God is one thing. Okay, so I think I know where, you, what, where you're at with this, though, Cindy. Questioning God is one thing. But questioning him with a sense of, I could have made a better decision than you have, and God, we've never done that. Now, how, nobody's ever done that, right? Of course not. That's something different. I think that, is that kind of what you're thinking when you say that we, we shouldn't question God? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's Proverbs 9.10. It's also found in Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I'm going to read it to you again. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm sorry, the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. In this little story, 
I see that verse being played out on a very broad, grand scale. So, going back to Bill's question, delivered to who? To who, right, Bill? Is that what you said? To who, not from who? Okay. If, now follow my reasoning here. If Solomon said, this seems great to me. This seems, what is the word that the, uh, um, Holman uses, significant. And then he gives us something that reads rather obscurely and sparsely. Not a lot of details. Could it possibly be that part of wisdom under the sun, which seems significant to Solomon, is that when we encounter these type of things, we give them some thought, we give them some reflection, we ask some questions. And we, it is the glory of a king, right, to search out a matter, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. So I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking there's an incredible invitation for us to use our minds and to start to think through what he's really saying here. And we will possibly come up with different conclusions. Now for me, I think his, in the story, the poor man who was wise, which means he didn't have a whole lot of resources. If he's poor, right? He, he, okay, you got an army outside your wall. He's poor. He probably doesn't have a sword. He's poor. He may not have a shield. He probably got his catapult repossessed. Uh, I mean, you get the idea. But his wisdom, it says, deliver the city. I'm, the way I read that is that his wisdom delivered the city from the great king who came against the city. Okay, that's how I look at it. Um, I have delivered in the... In the uh, Holman as well. I don't know what some of you, ESV and IV, when it talks about delivering the city, does it say something a little different? In verse um, 15, saved? Saved, that's right, you said saved. Anything different? No? Okay. So that's what I'm looking at. So I, I see this as, all right, what's going on here? You have this great king, this is a classic David and Goliath story. If you think about it. You have this great warrior and a shepherd. He was referred to as a boy. And what was the difference between David and Goliath as far as the determining factor of who won that battle? 
he believed in God. He loved God. He trusted God. I think he had awe, reverence, respect. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He feared the Lord. He had a fear of God that he carried with him. He says something to the effect that who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's blaspheming the armies of the living God? Remember that? That is more than just righteous indignation, I think. Actually, indignation means righteous anger. So anyway, that's, that's more than just indignation. I, I think that was someone who was alarmed that he would come against God's people who represented whom? God. And you have an, a pagan army coming against God's people, which means, think back in, in those times too, they, they often saw that, that, that their gods were going into battle. And if you defeated an enemy, they, at least the, um, the pagan people, really believe this, if you, you defeated one of your enemies, it was because your God was stronger than their God. And, and it was part of the thing of why they would, when they would go in and raid these temples, this is how the Holy of Holies, or the Ark of the Covenant, actually got into the Temple of Dagon, because they thought that Dagon, Dagon is the Philistine God, remember? Goliath is a Philistine. They thought that Dagon was kind of half man, half fish, half weirdo. Anyway, he was piece of, piece of stone, okay? They thought he was stronger than Yahweh. So they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon, and Dagon ends up on his face. And then he has his hands and his, I think also hands and feet. I'm just giving this to you from memory. They're, they're, they're cut off, and, and then they find, have even more problems, that, so they finally get rid of the Ark. Because they realize that the ark is 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 the uh, in their presence uh, is uh, the reason why they're having all the problems that they are, um, and is you have to ask yourself about your God if you have to actually stand him up after he's fallen over, which is what they did. Um, so this little. It's almost like a proverb in itself, isn't it? Just a little bit broader. It, it invites you to consider what he's saying here. So through wisdom, the city is delivered. Because he goes on to say in verse 16, I'm going to go back to 15, by the way, but he goes on to say in verse 16, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Now, does that, does that sound like, you know, when you read 15 and, uh, 14, 15, and 16, um, it almost sounds like, well, we probably just ought to close in prayer because how do you make sense of that? Right?
That, to me, that makes sense. I didn't hear that same story, Cindy, but it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it does. It makes sense. Um, so what, is, what, is that, what does that tell you about wisdom? Right? So he may have given counsel even to the soldier next to him who told the soldier next to him and then that, that first guy took all the credit for it. I mean, it's possible. That, I mean, that's the possibility of what's going on here. Uh, because, but remember, we want to look at the specifics of what we've been told but this whole thing is given to us because in verse 13, Solomon said, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great or significant to me. So there's more than just the riddle of the story. It's the, 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 the story is given to invite us in to start to work with it and start to consider it. I find it fascinating that he says wisdom is better than strength, is it? It can be. Some of you guys are shaking your head. Why? Because the Bible says, right? I mean, that would be a good answer, right? Well, we live in a culture that might makes right, do we not? doesn't say it says he delivered the city he doesn't say how he might have he might have part of what this is attempting to get us to wrestle with is the place of wisdom So whether he outsmarted him, whether he told some army guy and he got the credit, I mean, those are, those are things that, that we, we start to latch a hold of to, to start to think a little bit deeper, a little bit further. But he uses this illustration to say wisdom is better than strength, and yet the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words were not heard. Well, if his words were not heard, then how did the city get delivered? And sold them as his own, which is what Cindy was saying, right? And that's a possibility. Yeah, he, he the, no. Yeah. 
you read ahead, didn't you? Yeah, go ahead and read it. Read it. Yeah, go ahead and read it for us. <laughs> Who's the ruler of fools in this story? The great king. The great king, the king of the army. So he's still yet again making the contrast between wisdom and foolishness. Right? And is wisdom better to be whispered? I'm kind of changing your words around a little bit, but kind of trying to stay with your question. I think at times, what did Jesus say about casting our pearls before swine? And what did he mean by that? <laughs> Essentially, you know, to don't cast your pearls before swine. And, and rather than the shout of a ruler of fools, the shout of, I, I, boy, I, I, I really want to go there, but I'm not going to. But I bet you can read my mind if you try hard enough right now. The shouts of a ruler of fools. But... Nonetheless, what is also inferring, so if wisdom, I'm going to keep playing with your thought now, all right, if, if it's better, now I said if, if it's better to, to, to speak wisdom in quiet, what does that say about Gosh, I got so many things running through my head in only 16 minutes. But anyway, what does that say about um, the person who has the wisdom? Was that? Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Because that, it, they're humble, is what he said, right? Because if we are truly fearing the Lord... Now, we can say we respect them all we want. Now, I don't need to quote the guy directly, but he said one t at Cal Baptist College, right? And he, he was talking to we were t lunch table. He's talking about God, and he, said, and he says, and he thinks he's really a cool guy, right? He goes, man, I don't mess, but he didn't use the word mess. I don't mess with God. And and somebody at the table almost got up and decked him because of the word that he used when he said, I don't mess with God. Um, and I thought it would have been kind of fun to have watched. But anyway, um, and I remember saying, I remember telling the guy, calming him down, like, you can't do this. He's an idiot. Don't hit him. You're going to get in trouble because he's an idiot. So, um, but there was no, now people profess a fear of God. That's what I'm getting at here. They will give lip service to a fear of God. But they can be as arrogant as the day is long. So just because I say I fear the Lord doesn't mean that I do. Because true fear of the Lord is going to 
not only change how you think, but how you behave. Including taking these incredible steps of faith, go back to David again, when David decided to take on Goliath. That took a lot of faith, but that was because he feared the Lord. And to be humble, do you think David was humble when he took on Goliath? I think he was. Because part of humility is being honest. And part of the problem with people is they're, they're rare, that a lot of people have trouble with honesty, not only with others, but with themselves. And if they're not honest with themselves, that is, they're not humble about who they are, they're not honest about it, then they're definitely not humble with God or honest with God. Humility, in one of its definitions, is seeing you as you truly are. Um. I think that's the real a good definition of humility. And if we fear the Lord in, a, in the humble way that we should, we are going to start to see ourselves as we truly are. And as we see ourselves as we truly are, then we will begin to see God at a greater level of who he truly is. And it can become this, this ongoing spiritual godly cycle that starts to take off in our life. Rather, and whether that means that this man who they didn't appreciate his words, his words were not heard, um, this might have been, now I'm speculating, all right, I invited you all to do it so I can do a little too, right? This might have been the only time they ever heard his advice that entire, in his entire life. And took his advice. Other than that, they might have viewed him as, as the poor guy who thinks he's wise. Because they themselves are shouting him down, right? Rather than the shout of a ruler of fools... See, you only got one wise guy in this entire story. And that's the poor man. And wisdom is better than brute strength. But wisdom, okay, fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge. Um, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord, beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Because I think it takes knowledge and understanding to then begin to create wisdom in our hearts. Because wisdom is not just skill. Wisdom is not just being able to do something and do it well. Have you, have you met, ever met someone who was good at their job but... What? And that's it. 
<laughs> you know, it basically it's like you always want them to go work on the project by themselves and just leave them alone and let them do it. They're skilled, but to interact with them is because they don't possess any wisdom. They have knowledge, but they don't have good understanding because there's more to work than just your skill, right? The thing about any kind of job, just, just about, is you have a bunch of people that you have to deal with as well. Right, Don? <laughs> yeah. Don could have written a PhD on human psychology of being in management and retail for all the time he was in there, you know, and, and, and dealing with, especially different subgroups of folks. Um, so wisdom is better than strength, but it's not always, and this is where it's the problem. It's not always something that we can count on to be continuous. What do I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, okay, it is, I think the fear of the Lord is continual, but do we ever have, I hate to use this word because it's misused, or maybe I'm misusing it and, I'm misu and not using it properly, but do we, do, do we have those little momentary lapses of our fear of the Lord? Or is it just me? And a few of you that are willing to nod your head, yes. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, and this is, I think through this a lot, because I'm, I'm, now I'm talking about sanctification, okay? And in our growth in Christ, and who we are in Christ, which, by the way, if we are truly humble, we will really see who we are in Christ, right? And that's the whole essence of spiritual formation. Spirituality is, is, is being a partaker, Peter said, of the divine nature, who we are in Christ Jesus, and understanding that and living that. But we do have momentarily lapses, that, lapses of that. But I'm under the impression, well, there was a guy, I've told this story, I think, before, but... So I, I know some of you haven't heard it, so the rest of you act like you've never heard it before. Um, okay. <laughs> or you that are telling me later that, yeah, you told me that. Uh, there was a man, he, he didn't come here long because he moved away, but he was a pastor. And through a series of events that I won't bother to get into, he got out of the ministry. And he was, he was living in some ranch outside of town. And um, I knew of him. He knew of me. We, uh, we kind of sent messages back and forth every so often. It's probably over a 10-year period, if not more. And he called the church one day. And he says to me, you know, for, you know do you remember who I am? Oh, yeah, I know who you are. Um, he says, I want to talk to you. I said, all right. 
So he comes in and he sits down. And he's, he's, oh, I've been in the desert for years. That's what he tells me. I've been in the desert for years, right? And I said, you know, especially in light of the fact that we're having this conversation right here, right now, have you, have you ever stopped to think that per, perhaps while you being in the desert, spiritually, all right, you understand what, what all right, while you being in the desert might not have been God's a plan for you, you know, his, you know, I'm going to have this guy sit over here off to the side and do absolutely nothing. Well, he, but he did it with Paul. Paul uh, went to Tarsus for probably over seven years, unheard of. What happened? Who knows? But I said, did it ever occur to you that that was God still at work in your life the entire time that you were in the desert and you didn't realize it? Like Jacob. You know, at Bethel, the Lord was here and we did not know it. And he sat there and he thought about it and he said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Because in those moments, <clears throat> excuse me, in our sanctification process, in our growing in Christ, I'm not sure why we're on this, but I'm going to finish the thought. In our growing in Christ, if you have a lapse in your life where you no longer fear the Lord for a period of time, and I bet you every single one of us, including myself, we have them. It's not like because of that you go back to the back of the line. Or as I told a friend one time, it's not like we're going to have to make you go into second grade again because she was so down on herself because she had, I don't remember what it was, but... Oh, I can't believe I'm not growing. It's not like you're gonna, we're going to keep you back a grade. You know, it's, it's, you know be, if, if it's true that in him we live and we move and we have our being, then this idea of levels, of different levels of our relationship with Christ, is, sometimes I think, we, 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 I think there's a point place for that, but I think sometimes we... We put too much emphasis on that because I should be up here, but I had a lapse in my fear of the Lord, so now I'm back down here again. Rather than if you have a lapse, you're up here somewhere, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your lack of fear in the Lord and move on. To me, that makes a whole lot more sense than going to the back of the line in your thinking. Is that, you, you guys, I think you guys are grabbing what I'm putting out. Um, so wisdom is better than strength, but it's not always... I want to say dependable. Yeah, uh, I, I think strength is one of our tools in the toolkit. Um, when I was doing building maintenance, I, I learned that a reciprocating saw that you plugged into the wall socket was a whole lot faster than a hacksaw in, in redoing pool plumbing, for example. Um, so I learned to do that to get in and out of a pool room fast. But 
don't stray too far from the story because you have a poor man who is going up against a great king. That's, you, that, that's, real, that's really what's going on here in, your, in the story itself. The great king is strong. The poor man, it, he all, all he has is wisdom, right? So it's telling us wisdom is better than weapons of war. Well, drop me in a battlefield in Ukraine right now, and I can be as wise as I want, and probably still going to have my head blown off. Right? But it says, but one sinner destroys much good. Which actually was part of what I was referring to. That we can lose that fear of the Lord momentarily. And even destroy much good. But the thing is, God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. You have a difference here. The great king is proud. The, the poor man is humble. Um, but yeah, if you want to step outside of Harv, if you want to step outside of the, um, the story, yes, I, strength is one of our tools that we use and use wisely. And, um, but, here you have someone who's trusting. I'm trying to think of the verse. It just went in and out of my mind. Um, trusting in the arm of the flesh. Trusting in their power and their strength of their army to take on this little city with a few men. All right? Like I said, it's a, it's a classic David and Goliath story. And yet through wisdom, and, and the only, to me, the only, I mean, he was wise enough not to wear the armor, if that makes any sense, because it just didn't fit him. So he was wise enough not to wear the armor, but, you know, what does he do? Goes up against it, and he grabs five stones and a slingshot. So there had to have been, and the, the whole five stones is interesting that I won't bother to go into tonight, but um, there had to be this incredible sense of God calling him. Therefore, God speaking to him, him healing, hearing it, which is the ultimate of strength, is it not? That's the ultimate of strength. And Paul, 2 Corinthians, talking about the thorn in the flesh, confesses, so right around chapter 12, I believe, that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Strength. When I'm weak. And earlier in the first letter to the Corinthians, the foolishness of, of God is, it's either wiser or stronger. Somebody look it up for me. It's chapter 1 or chapter 2 early. Stronger wiser than the wisdom of men. So, yeah, yeah I, ultimately, 
I mean, we see this ultimately happening, happening when, 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 when the Lord returns. And he, does he return in weakness? Basically, he's coming back like an iron steel worker, you know, on a horse. Did he come the first time in weakness or in strength? It looked like weakness. But to die on a cross for your creation must have required so much strength, a strength that I can't even fathom, explain, understand. Um, that's awe. That's fear of the Lord. And to sit with that for a while, perhaps, you know, God would, would begin to, to reveal more of his own strength. But um, let this mind be in you who was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And, or a for, and, and so it's, that's who Jesus is. Uh, the ultimate example of strength is given to us in what we perceive to be weakness. Or what the world, I should say, perceives to be weakness. The cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. And it is foolishness to the Greeks. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. So hopefully that answered some of that for your heart. You know, you, know, you, you want to look at strength, look at the cross.